I'm Shannon Salvestro, Literacy Coordinator for the New South Wales Department of Education. Oral language, it's the system we use for spoken words to express our ideas, our knowledge and our feelings. Phonological awareness is all about the sounds of the language, the sounds that make up words and includes the rhythm of the language and rhyme. Phonics is when we bring letters into the equation and it's about the relationship between sounds and the letters that represent them. We thought it would be interesting to hear a speech pathologist's view on these components that have a strong relationship to both reading and writing and are recognised as components of effective early reading instruction. This will be presented in a two-part podcast series. The first one will focus on oral language. Today I'm with Jane Beale from All Areas Speech Pathology. Thank you so much for speaking with me, Jane. Yeah, thank you, Shannon. It's wonderful to have you come along and to give me a chance to talk about reading and spelling and, yeah, just from a speech pathologist's perspective. So it's fantastic. Great. I've heard you talk before, Jane, and um, it, it sounds like it's an area you're quite passionate about. Yes, it actually, it's wonderful to be doing a podcast on this topic because I first began to be a speech pathologist 25 years ago and the stuff we would be talking about today, it, I was talking about it back then in very similar ways, which is quite surprising. And, and back then, 25 years ago, I never would have imagined it would still be at the forefront of everyone's minds, but it is. So, yeah, this is something that um, has been a big part of my job, a big part of what I teach other speech pathologists to do. And I guess most importantly, it's how speech pathologists and teachers overlap and share their knowledge. So today would be about, as a speech pathologist, getting teachers to hear just a slightly different perspective, but mostly being able to go, ah, there's our common ground. Language plays in learning to read. Yeah, fantastic. So oral language, it's something that develops naturally. So we know that children are all going to hear language in the first year of their life. They're going to start using language and they're going to use language to think and language to learn. So by the time a child gets to school, they actually learn through language. And at this stage, it's oral language. So we're saying that they learn through listening and thinking about what's being said and then having those same words in their head. So that if you said to a child that knows a nursery rhyme, Jack and Jill went up the... If they know that nursery rhyme, based on oral language, they can actually hear that word hill in their head. Jack and Jill went up the... Can you hear it? Yeah. Hill. yeah. yeah, yeah. So oral language is about hearing other people speak, comprehending what they're saying. And we know for early school starters, that means that people around them are talking a bit slower and using clear short sentences but children basically are at school they're ready to learn to read and spell and write but first they're thinking about the sorts of things they would read and write themselves they're thinking about them from a perspective of hearing other people say it and listening and remembering and then being able to say it back Mm. because reading is actually not a natural or developmental process It's not something that people would just automatically develop. It's a contrived 
thing in our society. It's a learned behaviour. Yeah, so Whereas something we need to be taught. Something we need to be explicitly taught. Mm. Whereas oral language is developmental. So think of reading as children identifying something they've already said or someone said to them mm. and something they've already thought. And reading is just a match of the mm. knowledge that they have. Mm. And think of writing and spelling as just putting down on paper your thoughts. So you can't read something and understand it if you can't say it. And you also can't write something down if you can't think it and sort of hear it in your head. Mm. So oral language just makes total sense as being the first step. We've got to get mastery of oral mm. language. We've got to get children feeling confident with that. And then reading and writing and spelling is just recording what they can do. It's amazing when you actually say it mm. all like that. Mm. Um, you can, the, the links and the, the connections link. yeah. between the oral language, reading and writing. Yes. The, yeah. um, the connections. Yeah. And I could give a quick example, and yeah. I know people will think about grammar and, you know, have a bit of a chuckle. You can think about the child that instead of saying, I saw my brother, they might say, I seen my brother, okay? Mm. If they're going to go and write that, they won't write, I saw my brother. They'll write what they would say because that's what's in their head. So they'll go mm -hmm. to write, you know, what did you do on the weekend? Oh, I seen my brother. When they write it, they'll write, I seen my brother. Mm. So if you want to fix that grammar and you want them to write the word saw, you've got to fix it with the oral language. You've got to get them hearing it in their head and mm. thinking it and saying it. Mm. Now, that's just a really small concrete example, but you could extrapolate that out to a year five or six student. You want them to maybe write a quite complicated sentence. So... I went to the shop, but I didn't find the thing I wanted and I thought about what are my different options and I thought I could do this, you know, all that high-level language. If a child can't think that way and speak that way, they can't write it. So mm -hmm. sometimes when we first want children to use words like suppose and wonder and imagine mm -hmm. and perhaps and otherwise, if we do that straight away to a written language task, then it's probably not within their ability to think. So even at that year five or year six level, we still want to be doing oral language mm. and getting them saying and thinking at the higher level. Mm. So oral language isn't just, or make sure they come to school with oral language and now let's switch to written. Oral language has to come all the way through schooling yeah, into high so, school too. So there really is, so moving from oral to written language... Um, what do you think are the, uh, the major factors yeah. like from, from a, a speechy perspective? Yes. That, um... So from a speech pathology perspective, what we would say is spend the majority of your time, your, your teaching time and your explicit time and your demonstrating time, have it in the oral language medium. Mm. And in a lesson, say if you were going to do an hour lesson, and you wanted children to write half a page, then instead of a 10-minute oral language introduction and then 50 minutes to write, we would say do 45 minutes of oral language. Mm. And that could be talking about it, defining new words, so talking about vocabulary, vocabulary. Yeah. saying words slowly and mm. repeating them, um, 
making parallels. So we're going to look at the word thought and what does it rhyme with? It rhymes with sort and court. Oh, sort and court rhyme, but they have different spellings. So you're talking about rules, but you're still all in the oral language. Mm. Getting children to come back with sentences and saying sentences. Mm. Mm. Then you can bring in things like your nursery rhymes and your chants. Mm. Um, going back and saying the same things, repeating, so that by the time they sit down to put pen to paper and move to the written language, all the words are in their head and they can hear them. Mm. A bit like mm. the Jack and Jill went up the hill mm. now they can hear it so i give the example of a pentagon a pentagon has and they hear five sides because you've spent so much, so much time, time talking and comparing yeah language so yeah. um for speech pathologists you know traditionally people would think of well we do the oral language so they'd come in and our session is around the talking and the repeating and comparing words mm. putting words into categories mm. Um, so that seems really obvious for us and I think in times gone by teachers knew that kindergarten and early uh, schooling years there was a lot of time for oral language have the play corner mm. have um, social time pretend time nursery rhymes reading books mm. there was a lot of understanding that children needed oral language time whereas I think in schools now mm. the pressure is a little bit of maybe news, but straight into the structured groups. Mm. And the teacher probably knows, I want to talk with them, but they've got to go on and meet other needs. Mm. We can't neglect oral language mm. and think that there won't be consequences. And actually also thinking as well that, yes, we, we do probably recognise that is something that is important in kindergarten, but I think going back to something you said uh, a mm. little bit earlier, it's, it's not just important in kindergarten... Yeah but perhaps yeah. continuing throughout yes. other years of schooling that idea that that time, the for, time for talking that, that talking yeah. rich quality talk yes. that good discussion is You're exactly is right. so important and particularly right into high school for, for writing yeah and, yeah um, that, you're so yeah. right. And if we yeah. look at what we expect from high school students, mm. you know, we might say read this book. What do you think that character was trying to tell us? Mm. You know, we've got into the language around thinking and mm. hypothesising and, you know, looking at options. Well, children don't think and talk that way. So if you want them to be able to do that reflective writing and mm. looking at possibilities, you need to take them through how to speak that way. Mm. You know, who has an idea? Who has an opinion? Mm. And I did a... Um, a group with high school students, year 11 students, and they were having problems with their essays. And I did that exact structure that I said to you. I gave them a 10-minute talk about a topic and asked them to write for 45 minutes. And we got one or two paragraphs and a lot of non-engagement. Yeah. And then we came back and we did a 45-minute discussion where it was very structured discussion mm -hmm. and we got opinions and we got ideas and we repeated concepts and then I said, write for 15 minutes. And they wrote a half to one page flat out. Mm, and the mm. results were just incredible mm. in the difference. And it was because they got to talk about it. When they went to write, they could hear it all in their head. And mm. they were just getting down what they were thinking. It's like setting them up for success. Yeah. yeah. And such a simple little change, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 The other thing I could say about oral language uh, is to look at books. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, teachers would hear this whole push of books, especially before children come to school. Mm. And what is what are books good for? Books are good for children being exposed to oral language when the book is read to the child. Mm. So now it is an oral language thing, isn't it? Because mm. they're listening. A book can be repeated. Mm. And we know that children learn from oral language when they get to hear it in a repeated way. It can end with rhymes. So that's um, satisfying for them and they're developing some of that early listening for rhymes. But books, probably most importantly, they can teach vocabulary that you wouldn't be able to teach without the book because I'm sure you don't have tigers and lions and zebras in your house. You might, maybe you've got toys, but mm. you might not have them doing all sorts of things and rainforests. And a book can bring in all these scenarios that allow you to bring the child exposure to vocabulary. Mm, mm. Um, and there's a really interesting quote here. This was um, some statistics derived by Shaywitz. So S. Shaywitz in 2003. And it was from a book about overcoming dyslexia. Mm. Now, the topic, it's not so much that it's about dyslexia. They mm. were just looking at the role of books in general. And did you know that if a child is read to for a less than one minute mm. a day, so that's the child that's not getting a, a story at night, less than one minute, I don't know what that could be, someone's just read them one line or mm. really not very much, in a year that equates to 8,000 words. So that child from an oral language perspective has heard 8,000 words, mm. the chance to learn new words, vocabulary. If you read to a child for 4.6 minutes per day, so that's maybe, all right, come on, we've got time for one quick book or maybe gone through their reader, but you've just read something short to them, that jumps to 282,000 words in a year wow. that child's heard. Yeah. But if you say, mm -hmm. I'm going to read to my child for 20 minutes a day, could be the school teacher in her, his or her busy day, 20 minutes for these children to hear. Mm. It's oral language. Hopefully it's a parent or a carer. 20 minutes a day, that child's going to hear 1.8 million words each year. And we know when we follow those kids that get read to, mm. they yeah. have rich vocabularies and they bring the oral language. They hear all this stuff in their head. How much more successful are they going to be in the school day? Yes, yeah. And we learn through language, don't we? Mm. Mm. Um Last little bit probably on this topic because mm. I know, you know, I'm sounding very passionate and yeah, I am. I but do, let's just I take something yeah, something with oral language. Mm. We could say to a child, could you go and put that between the cupboard and the table? Something a teacher might say. Or could you go and sit between James and Sarah? We'll have a lot of children come to school and they don't know the word between. Mm. And a parent might even say, oh, we didn't use that word. No, they probably know in the middle. So it might be justified of, oh, I didn't really have time in you know, the first five years to use the word between. That probably doesn't matter. I used in the middle. Well, maybe it does matter because by the time a child comes to school, we want them to know multiple ways of saying things. We want them to know mm. in between is like in the middle, next to, beside, mm. up high, above, on top. We want them to be able to have a range. And let's come to spelling and reading and writing we have children that come to school, they don't know what first, last, end, start, middle. If they don't know those words, then mm. if you say, what's the sound on the end of white? Mm. Well, they can't even 
answer the question because they don't actually even know, know the concept. Yeah, yeah. So we know that children, we need to give children rich vocabularies and it's not okay to say, oh, well, if we don't read to them, if we just let them be doing other things, if we're too busy, if, if we don't sit around the dinner table anymore, you know, they just have their meal on their lap watching the telly, it's probably not a big deal. It is a big deal. Because children need to come to school hearing 1.8 million words Words. a year so that when the teacher says, just go and put that beside the bin, Mm. Mm. they do it and we move on rather than they get it wrong, they get told off, they seem to be misbehaving, they withdraw and the whole day is just this stop-start because the oral language isn't there. Are you noticing any or or have you um, come across... Anything that is impacting on children's development of oral language um, in those early years? Yes. You can see where I might be going with this. Yeah, definitely. So I think most people these days when you ask them, they can straight away say devices. Yes. And I'm going to expand that a little bit. Mm. It's kind of like our homes, our whole structure has changed Mm. with about, I'd say, three or four things. We're more likely to have two parents working and even grandparents working because the working Mm. age has gone up. You Mm -hmm. know, people are working longer. So children are more likely to now be in homes where the home's set up. um, There might be a bit more money coming into the home. We expect bigger homes. People are working. So people will plan a home. This is the children's lounge. This is the adult's lounge. Or... We all have TVs in our rooms or we all have devices in our rooms. Mm. Some homes now don't have tables where people sit around. Mm. And so it can be through being time poor. Oh, let's just heat that up in the microwave, sit there and have it. You're off to dancing. I'm picking so-and-so up from their job. Mm. That's become an accepted norm. And what we're finding is children just basically spending less time with other people, whether it's a sibling or a parent or another adult, where nobody's occupied. If you and I sat in this room together with nothing, we would definitely look at each other and talk. And talk. But if I came in and you've got a device, a, you know, a laptop, a mm. phone, we'd probably quite yeah. happily sit here and do our own thing. Mm. So does that mean they're missing out on those incidental conversations? Yes. You absolutely um, so hit the nail on the head. Mm. And there's new research that's come out which is of great interest to speech pathologists Mm -hmm. it's just come out this year in 2018 but great interest to educators as well Mm. we've always known that there's a gap with when children come from poverty Mm. we know that they hear less words but what they've really been able to show with the research Mm. now Mm. is it's not just i could sit here and read words to you it's the interaction Mm. so they've these researchers have called it the serve and return so that basically You say something and I respond. Mm -hmm. So with children, it could even be, oh, mum, Richard took the remote again. And, you know, it might not even be a positive. Now, a parent might think, oh, well, if you had a TV each, that would be great. There'd be no arguments. But I need you to say that so I can come back with, oh, well, perhaps it was his turn. Well, how about you get two minutes and he gets two minutes? And then you might say to me, oh, but you said that yesterday. Oh, well, we'll have another go. Look, you go first. It's all this serve and return. And then what we're doing is we're building on each other. And that can start right back from the baby 
you know, people see now babies being given devices. Mm. If the baby's on the device and the mum's on the device, and this is what I saw at the cafe the other day, four mums all meeting for the baby get-together, and all four mums on the phone and all four babies looking, what we know is that when one of those babies went, Dah! hit the table and went, Dah! if someone does a, that's a serve, if someone does a return, oh, you're so cute, were you talking? They're more likely to go, Dah! And you might do it back. Da, da. So we get yes. serve and return right from the beginning. Right from peekaboo. Mm. <gasps> Boo. Mm. Like peekaboo games. All of those games. So it's incidental. It's just how we've always done it mm. as people. And for the first time we've got, I'm lifting up my phone for people that can't see. For the first time we've got this thing now where the baby's gone, da, and I've not You're responded. You're too preoccupied on your device yeah. to even see yeah. that happen. Yeah. There's no then... Return or, Return. you know, response yeah. back to, That's to, the, to the baby. And what the mm. researchers found was that mm. even in the households where there was poverty, if there was an, an adult that was doing serve and return, mm. those mm. children were okay. The flip side is, for the first time, we've got lots of children coming from middle of the road and upper socioeconomic areas mm. that are showing oral language delays mm. And it's because that might be the family where we get in the car and everyone's got the latest DVD player and headsets and there's no, Mum, are we there yet? Oh, can't we get McDonald's? No, I've told you we're going to do this. Or, oh, maybe those serve and returns aren't mm. happening. So if that's, the, if that's what's happening and, say, by school age, children are coming to school and they do have those, I guess, a deficit yes. with, with oral language or, yeah. or a delay... Yeah. Uh, is it too late? What do we then do? Do we have to do more work? Mm. What, how does, what happens then? Well, I do a lot of workshops for teachers mm. and the way you've raised it is a really good point. I get teachers to look at when a child comes in, think of them in four categories. Now, you might go, oh, that sounds like a lot, but it's not. It's really quick. Mm. Your first category is your child who, as you're talking with them, you go, oh, they're fine. Mm. And you're probably these days going, wow. They're great because we know that more than half of children are turning up with oral language delays. We've done lots and lots of uh, research and screening, so there's practical knowledge as well as the research that's coming up. Mm. So when we get the child that just comes in and speaks well, we go, wow, and we probably go, yeah, look, when your mum dropped you off, she took time to say, let's look in your bag, here's your note, okay, mum, I'll see you after school, thanks for dropping me off, we're seeing the serve and return. So I'd say to teachers, you're going to notice your first group and they're fine. With your second group of kids, they're going to be the ones who, there isn't something inherently wrong with that child. They don't have a disability, they don't have a diagnosis, but you're noticing they seem distracted, their oral language seems to be a bit of a delay or a deficit. What we're saying to teachers is, if it's simply a case of they've just not had enough language exposure, mm. you can make a difference. Well, all you need to do is put the time into the oral language. And by, by that, I would specifically mean speak more slowly, make eye contact with the students, repeat what you're saying, and give them time to process because it's like they're learning another language. You know, like if I was speaking to you in French and you only knew a little bit, you'd want me to go slow. Mm. So we'd say to teachers, say it again, repeat it, um, be quite animated with what you're saying and definitely speak more slowly. 
And then most of those children, they should start to thrive because they're now being exposed to more language. What I've just described then, that's typical of what would have happened mm. 20 or 30 years mm. ago. Mm. Come in, I'm the teacher, I'm not in a rush. The first year is we get everybody up to the same standard, lots of reading and playing. Mm. So we know that method. We just need to give teachers permission. And I'll have teachers say to me, is that really okay? Can I really put the curriculum to one side? Because I just want to talk to them and play with them. Mm. I had one teacher who said, oh, yeah, 20 years ago I'd bring the home corner out and they'd get it every afternoon. Now I bring it out for 20 minutes or 30 minutes on a Friday and that's it. And I see them just getting into the game of, you know, pretend shop or washing up and I have to pack it up. And she said, can I leave it out more? And I'm like, yes, something that simple. Mm. So those B group kids, mm. as just you've noticed, they haven't had enough exposure, use your time. Mm. Mm. If they're in a C group, those are the kids that probably have come, maybe they've already had some speech pathology so it's not been picked up. Maybe they've got a diagnosis. Uh, it could be autism, Down syndrome, intellectual disability. So there's something where we understand that's mm. why there's the delay. Mm. Occasionally, a child that should have been a B child has just had so much um, missing out that it's really got that bad. Mm. Mm. Um, and But generally with the children that are Cs, they're not a surprise. You've maybe picked them up in the transition to school. Mm -hmm. They still need the same thing, slow down, mm. give them more time for processing. But what I'd say to teachers is in that first year, try to link them in to a speech pathology service. Mm. Uh, we go into schools a lot. Mm -hmm. See if, you know, talk to your wellbeing team, talk to your... Uh, student counsellors, school counsellors or whatever your resources are, but go, yeah. is this child getting speech pathology? If mm. not, what can we do? Mm. Because when you said, is it too late or not? It becomes too late quite quickly, especially mm. when it's receptive oral language, when children actually are not even understanding first and mm. last and, mm. you know, put your hand up if you're not a boy mm. and then they don't get the not, you know, mm. All the boys put their hand, hand up. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if that's the case, you got you have to get intervention quickly. Otherwise, they just can't catch up. Mm. And we know mm. children with significant receptive language difficulties, by the time they're five or six, they can continue to improve, but they really struggle to catch up. I'll put it over to you now, Shannon. Mm. We've had A, B and mm. C. Mm. Any ideas what... The fourth group could be oh, what the D group is. What the, what's the D group? The D group is is the ones I'm guessing who. I'll let you know because you're probably going. What is it? Oh, it's I'll it's the you. intermittent child. Right. It's the child that turns up and you go, "What is wrong with that kid today? They're not listening. They're not paying attention. Or oh, I think I'm going to have to do a referral. The next okay. day they come in and they're fine. And they're, they're switched fine. on. So why are some kids? Oh, okay. Can you picture a child like that? Yes. Why yes. are some, and then it's because there's something else going on. Maybe that's the child that has sleep apnea. Right. Mm -hmm. Sleep apnea can mimic having like a, an oral language delay or even autism. Mm. Children that, there's no routine at home, so they're just falling asleep anywhere. Children that have uh, fear, mm. maybe trauma. trauma. Or, yep. Maybe every second week there's a pattern and it's because they're going to one parent's right. house or another parent's house. And they okay. and yeah. Mm. And our mm. curriculum is busy so that those kids maybe in the past when they came in, you spotted that and it's playtime and they can get it out their system. 
but there's a lot expected of them. Mm-hmm. In that category would be children with hearing loss that's not been mm. picked up, children with blocked sinuses and blocked noses and mouth breathers. Mm. So for teachers, what I'd say is if you have a child that one minute they're fine, I'm not worried about their oral language or their mm. comprehension, but the next day, oh, I'm so worried. What's happened? Yeah. Then, then yeah. the answer for them is problem solve. Yeah, I'd encourage mm. teachers mm. to speak up and say, this, uh, this child's oral language is not mm. up to speed. They're not concentrating. They're not listening. They're not understanding. They can't stand mm. up and tell news because, you know, get onto it early Making would be sure the message. Make sure follow up on those hunches. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, we might move on. Can we move on to yeah. talking about uh, phonemic awareness, phonological awareness and phonics? Yes. I, I just... I, I, I love this topic. This conversation is continued in part two, where we bring phonological awareness and phonics into the discussion, and we link the ideas together. So if you're enjoying the chat, head straight to part two.